Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And, as I say every week, Sherry Edwards is off working on the soundhealthportal.com. Already had a couple of emails with her today talking about that. So she's got her tool belt on. She's working on it. You can find out more at the soundhealthportal.com. And I suggest going there and scrolling down, ignoring all of the amazing, like, free do this now. Scroll to the bottom. Click on the video tab. Pick a video of Sherry doing a live workup with somebody online. Pick one that you find the subject interesting, neuroplasticity, Perona, any of these in that list. There's a bunch that she does live demos. So you'll see a, a live workup from person doing their voice recording all the way through to looking at the reports. And the great thing about seeing that before you do it is that you'll have an idea of what's going on, how your voice is being analyzed and broken down into bits and bytes. And it's about the relationship between the voice and the vagal nerve, which we'll be talking about more soon. And it's just a great way to see it, to have the experience. Then, after you watch the video, if you want, go back to soundhealthportal.com, click on campaigns, and there you'll be able to choose any of the current free software packages that you can have your voice run through. Click free membership, and the system will then walk you through doing your voice recording, submitting it, and within two to ten hours, you'll get the report back. I suggest having a cup of tea and sitting down and reviewing that. And then if you have a practitioner that you see on a regular basis, who's open to that kind of information, taking it to them and seeing what they think. It's extraordinary. And seeing seeing the demonstration of her doing a live workup really helps explain a lot and give you the scope and scale of the possibilities. So that's all at soundhealthportal.com. To hear and share replays of the show, about 20 to 30 minutes after the show, you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, all words, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E-G-U-Y.com. Scroll down the page and you'll see this show with Ed Harold today. You can go there and see the show notes. Anything that we talk about, any links will be in the show notes. Click throughs to his website, to his classes, to more information about Ed. All available at talktomeguy.com. And right below the show notes, at the very bottom, is a little microphone. And if you want to click on that microphone... You can leave me a message, either from your laptop, mobile device, or computer, and leave me a message just saying you have questions, or you wouldn't, what about this guest, or what about that. Feel free to leave me a message there by clicking that. And just below that is a player that works really well on mobile devices, for those of you that are living the mobile life and want to listen to it that way. You can just tap right there. And or there are also click-throughs to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all sorts of aggregators or players or apps where you can listen to the shows and subscribe. Subscription does not mean anything other than you'll be notified when there's a new show. You're not paying for it. Not in any of the platforms that I would promote on that site. With that, Ed Harold blends the fields of neuroscience and the wisdom of contemplative traditions into effective strategies to improve health, performance, and overall well-being. Ed's fluency in mindfulness-based strategies, combined with a belief in the human potential, 
gives him the depth and the understanding to meet individuals and group needs across industries and platforms. Ed is an author, inspirational leader, public speaker, coach, and educator. Ed's mastery in the science of mindful breathing blends the fields of neuroscience and the wisdom of contemplative traditions into effective strategies to improve health, well-being, and performance. Ed is the author of Life with Breath, IQ plus EQ equals New You, and Body Mind Business, the business of being within. Ed is a contributing editor for Thrive Global, Mind Body Green, and Huffington Post, and more. Ed's Breath is Medicine Trainings, offer continuing education in the healthcare, health and wellness, fitness, allied health, and sleep medicine communities. Ed is the expert for Goldie Hawn's Mind Up organization. Ed joins us to talk about breath as medicine. Welcome, Ed. Thank you so much for that uh, great, great opening. <laughs> it's always great to be with you, Richard. You're doing such an an amazing job. You know, your show is amazing, and, you know, you're always interested in learning new things, and I think that's what keeps us curious and young. That's what I keep telling people. <laughs> Look, it keeps me spry and agile, and always with a slightly undertone of cranky when I'm in certain areas. This is not one of them, but, uh, yeah, a little bit of a cranky edge, like, are you kidding me? That kind of thing. But, yes, thank you. Thank you for that. We are going through the are you kidding me uh, age. Yeah, look forward to the swag from uh, your website on that. Are you kidding me? Breathe. I think it's, this is such a good time, especially because we had some technical issue backstage. I think this is a great time to ask you if you'd please take us through a short guided breathing moment. Practice? Maybe that's it. Yeah. So let's practice some breathing if we could. So the first thing is to straighten your spine. And notice how easy it is to be you. Press your feet firmly down into the floor or wherever you might be right now. And feel your connection to our home planet. Take a moment to release and relax any tension that you might pick up around your eyes, the muscles you use to move your eyes muscles you use to speak and chew. Relax the jaw, your tongue. And then bring your attention inside your nostrils and slow down your inhale and stabilize the two prefrontal cortexes of your brain behind your forehead. And when your inhale is complete, pause for a moment. Then exhale slowly through your nose, gently contracting your abdominal muscles, and you'll feel a warm exchange of air coming across the upper lip. Let's try a couple more. Just straight spine, open mind, attention inside the nostrils, Inhale, pause, exhale through the nose, gently getting an abdominal massage while you contract your abdominal muscles. 
Focusing in the nostrils, inhale, pause, recharge, center the mind above the heart. Exhale slowly through your nose, getting a complete exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide. Then do three more at your own pace and know that right now in our life, slower is more efficient and maybe even better. Mm. Simply notice how quickly a simple technique like that affects our psychology, our perception of self and value, confidence, esteem, but also notice how it affects what's most important, our physiology, our immunity, our ability to feel, our ability to adapt, our ability to evolve. How was that, Richard? I'm so calm now. That's excellent. Thank you. It always, as much as I've listened to your work and like your work and, and know the power of breathing, I still forget. It's amazing how, and I was a, a touring cyclist, not a competitive touring cyclist, but I'd go out and bicycle 25 or 100 miles, just like a thing. And my breathing was different but I was very calm and hyper-focused and at ease at the same time when I was, once I was, I was looking at your article about swimming when you kind of tapped into where you are today in a certain way or swam that direction, I might say, um, that you <laughs> discovered this, the, the breath work, the power of the breath work and how you had that instance. Well, well tell us a little, I didn't mean to go here, but I guess I have to. Um, this is how it works in my mind. Tell us a little bit about that swimming competition you were in and the, uh, what I would call the aha moment or the not aha moment where you suddenly found yourself at a state of ease considering what you were in the midst of. Well, when I was younger, about 30 years ago, I was a professional marathon swimmer and I was involved in a 22 and a half mile swimming event. <clears throat> and I recall the first eight miles it was relatively easy. There wasn't a lot of resistance to what my mind wanted to do, and I was in good rhythm and all things were going well. And then around mile 8 to 14, I began to experience pain and resistance like I've never experienced before in my life up until that point, and it seemed like I was dying and my body was on fire and I couldn't swim and my mind just wanted to stop. And it just stop this pain, stop this, whatever we are doing, because we can't do this anymore. And then around mile 14, something happened that had never happened to me before in my life, where I tapped into what I would call a light energy source that was down in my pelvic bowl. I had never really experienced the energy of my pelvic center before, my pelvic bowl just this sovereign sacred energy which to me was new at that time I didn't have any words for it or any descriptions but it just felt warm and light and it just like a volcano came up through my spine into my brain and all of a sudden all my muscles that were on fire pulled down and relaxed all the fear that was in my mind dissipated and there was no fear there was no self-doubt and all of a sudden something that I would call 
that was more powerful than me began to take over my mind and body, and I began to swim effortlessly for uh, mile 14 to 22 and a half, and I was in for the ride of my life, and I just had never had an experience like that before, that there was all this energy that is tapped, untapped inside us that can be used for whatever our mental intention is at that point, but we have to work through uh, the barriers that our ego puts around our perception of self. And hanging in there with tough experiences is really challenging for us. We resist pain at all costs, and we are so driven towards pleasure all the time. And it's not really a realistic way to live our life. You know, we need pain to balance out the pleasure, and pleasure lets us know that we are making gains in our life. And kind of easing our way or reaching into the pain and not resisting it one of the ways that we can do this is really breathing slowly around the parts of our life that are suffocating us. Mm. Okay. I won't get stuck there. I want to, but I won't. <laughs> I'm making note of that. That's really good. And I did, as I say, when I was doing a lot of bicycling, there would be that the first 20 minutes or half hour, I'd, I'd be on a cold morning before I was going to go teach and I every morning almost I think what am I doing this is just miserably cold I'm crazed and then about half hour in to maybe an hour and a half or so ride I'd get into a flow state and there might be some discomforts and I might hit a speed bump and all those kinds of things and I was riding this is long enough ago that I was riding on a bike that was basically just a really nice bike but it was a stick with wheels I mean, it wasn't fancy. It didn't have springs. It right. didn't have shock absorbers. It was just a bike. Mm -hmm. So it was just like pounding riding this. But I'd get into that flow state. And it was amazing. It was, it was my meditation was riding a bike. I would just go out and be in flow state. And that's a, that's a long way to ask about what is the power of the pause at the top of the breath or at the bottom of the breath? There's, there seems to be great wisdom to be gained from that moment yes and you're a thousand percent right on that you know if we just look at our breathing right now no matter how you're doing you'll notice there's a pause at some point after you inhale is complete and there's a pause after your exhale is complete this is a natural organic event that occurs 22,000 times a day on the genius of our autonomic nervous system, our cardiovascular system, and the various departments of the brain based on our perception of what we believe that's occurring at any given moment. Now, we can allow that gap to grow anytime we want to by hacking into the autonomic nervous system and controlling how long we hold the breath in, how long we hold the breath out, how long is our inhale, how short is our inhale, how long is our exhale, how short is our exhale, how fast is it, how slow is it. There's all sorts of basic fundamental principles that are igniting every energy system of the body. So how do we get ourselves into a point 
where we can still that mind and be in that present moment without that squirrely mind or that monkey mind that just swings from thought to thought and just doesn't seem to ever settle down. So when we inhale, hopefully we're inhaling into our belly first and we're receiving the benefits of the thoracic diaphragm, which is the primary muscle of inhale, vertically pressing down onto our abdominal region or the solar plex region. This is very, very important because we're creating a relaxation response on the inhale before the air comes all the way up into the top of the lungs. So for folks out there practicing getting that upper abdomen, the space between the navel and the solar plexus to swell during the first half or third of your inhale is paramount to being energy efficient and stabilizing the mind. Now, as the inhale unfolds and you feel the upper ribs lift, that's a full complete inhale and that's a beautiful thing. Now, when you consciously decide to hold the breath in, whether it be for a two count or a four count or a six count, You'll notice as soon as you consciously decide to hold the breath, this is not unconscious occurrence. This is consciously asking the brain to hold the breath in. You'll notice that the higher learning centers of our brain, the enlightened part, the hippocampus region, the area of higher learning, the area of uh, extreme self-confidence without ego, appears to pull us into almost a pillar of unbelievable integrity, listening, feeling. It's almost like our normal voice is not allowed to be in that sacred space as long as we don't overdo it. So what we're doing here is we're inhaling slowly, we're holding the breath in, and we're stabilizing the mind, and we're moving into what, just a simple way to, to say it would be a different dimension of ourselves than we normally make our decisions in our beta brain. You're strengthening your inspiratory muscles. You're strengthening the muscles of inhale because you are holding the breath in. You are thinning your blood, which is a great thing because it makes it easier on the heart. So the blood becomes more transparent, translucent. It's lighter. It has more viscosity to it, more alkalinity to it, which is really great for our capillaries and arteries. Mm. So, so the inhale, that breath hold, it's almost like, as an athlete, you would know that high-altitude training is one of the hacks that we can do to get ourselves in great physical conditioning and improve CO2 tolerance without being at altitude. So you might be at 10 feet above the ocean right now, but if you can go through different breath hold sequences, you can hack into the, your inner world and make it think that it's 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet above sea level. So it's super, super powerful. And holding the breath in is a great way to energize yourself during the afternoon hours of the day. Now the exhale, is something completely different than the inhale. We are triggering a relaxation response. Most of us have very weak exhale muscles in the culture today. We're not exhaling completely, which is causing us a whole host of mental and physical and emotional conditions which are causing pain and resistance to growth. 
So working on that exhale and training the brain to exhale to the best of our ability, getting that complete exchange of CO2 is something that we can all practice all the time. Even if you have a regular breathing practice, you must consciously practice exhaling to completion, wiring that into your brain so that that becomes the norm when you're not consciously controlling your breathing. Now, holding the breath out is very scary. It's completely different than holding the breath in, but it, we have the same qualities of being completely present. So when you stop breathing, the brain immediately says, wait a second, Richard wants me to pay attention here. And when we pay attention, we know that certain parts of the brain light up on BMFRI machines that don't light up under normal conditions. So we're getting, number one, the mental benefit of paying attention. Now, what we're doing with that attention, our perception of ourself and the energy that we have is immediately questioned when you're holding the breath out because in the background of the mind, there's that fear that we might not inhale again. And that is very scary. So bypassing that. So when you hold out for, say, a two count, or maybe you hold out for a four count, one of the great, great things that's occurring when we're holding the breath out is, well, number one, you notice that you're not going to die. Number two, you notice that there's a lot of stale air in my avioli sacs of the lungs and in the cells of my body that are stuck inside my body and trapped that aren't being properly ignited during the normal breathing process. So when we hold the breath out, the brain will go down into the body and it will burn and incinerate stale air residue from past stressful experiences, whether it's exercise-induced stress, relationship stress, uh, stress at work, whatever it may be, that air that's locked into these cells is incinerated and burned. And that's great because on the next inhale, those cells that were closed and not receiving an exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide then are turned back on. So it's a wonderful way of burning stale air residue out of the cells of the body, and then they can be harnessed on the next inhale and exhale. So you almost stalled aging. You gave yourself a fountain of youth. You're turning on parts of the body that were dull moments ago. When you're talking about holding the breath in and holding the breath out, when you have a resting heart rate like this, you probably can hold in and hold out about equal if you were using countings. In other words, if you could hold out for 10, you could hold in for 10. When you're in a cycling routine or you're running and your heart rate is elevated, the general rule of thumb is that you can hold the breath in twice as long as you can hold it out. So if you can hold the breath out for 10 pedals on the bike, you should be able to inhale through your nose and hold it in for a 20 count. And this is a great technique to not only detox the body of impurities and the mind of impurities and focus the mind on one point in attention, but it's a wonderful tool for vitality, stability, growth, and energizing the cells the chromosomes of our body, the DNA of our body, so that we can make changes on the fly and adapt to our environment and be the most powerful form of ourself with the lowest heart rate as possible. I hope that helped. That helped. And also, I suspect making our mitochondria very happy because they're the energy systems in the body and they need oxygen to work. So the more we get our tissue oxygenated, 
the more everything can work. I mean, we're an amazing machine, but we need all the stuff like oxygen. So pumping that into the system seems nothing but good, nothing but great in a certain way. And I, I'm going to... No, I just love that, that mitochondria, you know, the higher vibration we can have our mitochondria, just the core power of our cell, the motor of our cell, the more everything else in our life will work more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And I will... I'm torn because I have two directions I want to go, but I will, I will mention that I used to spend a lot of time with a Labrador. And we'd go out for walks and we'd go out for, you know, long walks or hikes or all sorts of stuff. And then in the daytime, I'd be working on the computer and she'd come in and go, hey, hey, stop that. Come here. Talk to me. And I'd hang out with the dog. And after a long walk and she was home and was had water and maybe a snack, she'd lay on the couch. And the last thing she would do typically before she'd really fall asleep, she knew the things were under control. I was there. So it was, oh, you know, she could always come find me. She would take a deep breath. And she would let it fully out, like not even kind of like fully out, big dog chest, like letting all that out, letting it go, letting whatever, you know, the barking, the smelling, all that just gone and just settle into being at rest and do everything that you just said in terms of, you know, acidity of the alkalinity of the blood and, you know, just giving up all that attachment and just allowing herself to completely rest. And it was an awesome thing to watch. And I tried practicing that. I wasn't as good as she was, but she was really good at it. Just exhale and you're out. I think that's wonderful in a great way. What a great, what a great teacher. Yeah. And noticing that. She was a great teacher. I learned how to uh, smell in the woods with her. I, I noticed that anytime she would smell something, her nose would go up. And I didn't know why, but now I do that unconsciously. My nose goes up. People look at me like, why is he doing that? Because I spent a lot of time with dogs. <laughs> and they know stuff. We don't. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's like the, the dogs, their nose is so powerful. And so is the human nose. And when you think about the creator who created us, there is a set of nerves outside of our brain, the forebrain area. It's called our cranial nerves. And it's not talked a lot about, but the first cranial, like the 10th cranial nerve is the vagus nerve, which is so important to resiliency, stalling, aging, relaxation, alkalinity, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, all the things that make us feel like, oh, my God, it's so great being me. But the cranial nerves are the same on the dogs, though they are the humans. And whoever made these bodies, (laughs) guess what cranial nerve one is? the olfactory nerve, and Mm. that's the nerve that basically signals the brain of what's in our environment because the nose can smell a lot further away than the second and third cranial nerves, which are attached to our op nerves and our eyes. And we've become such a visual society that everything is visual. We don't pay attention to the nostrils anymore because we're civilized somewhat. You know, we're in a home. We're not out in the woods. We don't have to smell smoke or we don't smell another predator or they don't smell out, you know, per se. But, you know, when you think about the structure, and it's really hard to hijack the hard wire. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to put in software in a human being. We do it all the time. Uh, take it in, take it out. But it's really hard to hack the hard drive. And when you think about it, there's no mistakes in these bodies. There's just mistakes in perception. And when the first cranial nerve 
is something about smell and preparing the brain on how it's going to interact with the environment, safe or unsafe or I don't know. There's something to be said for that. Or is that, do I sell a hamburgers cooking someplace? I always had the feeling that's what she was smelling like. Oh, wait, there's a barbecue nearby. Let's go there. She was kind of a food hound. But, I mean, it's true. It gives them so much alertness to their surroundings. And I think that I'm, I'm going to go back to the, the pause moment, and I want to ask a question about that, and then this will lead us another direction as well. The Heart Math Institute uses the term heart coherence. Now, they're, they're using different measuring techniques, but it feels to me like when you're, because I've done a lot of heart math work, I'm a fan of their work, that you're in that same state you're talking about when you pause at the top or the bottom of the breath, and you don't have to have electrodes on. You can just do it. Whereas heart math seems like it's come up with a very cool and yet technological, technological way to get us into that state of the pause, the power of the pause. Seem right to you? Yeah, there's some good stuff right there. So, first of all, HeartMath is 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 a great company, and it's uh, very scientifically researched and evidence based. Mm -hmm. And you know, heart brain coherence. Let's talk about that. Okay, let's start at the very basic level. Uh, most folks don't know that over a 24-hour period, your heart sends more signals to your brain than your brain sends to your heart. So your heart sends about 80% more signaling to your brain on how to respond during the day than your brain sends to your heart on how to beat. The heart has its own neural system. The heart is completely independent, all the other systems of the body. It has its own intelligence. In fact, the heart is the only organ that cannot get cancer. It's an amazing electromagnetic field of energy. When we talk about heart-brain coherence, we're talking about basically the heart enveloping the brain and the heart basically making the decisions on how we're going to interact with ourself and our environment in the present moment. One of the ways that we can make this happen is a scientific study or a scientific research model called heart rate variability score. And when your heart rate variability score is high, you'll notice that there's a greater space between heartbeats. So earlier I was speaking about the inhale and there's a pause before you exhale and there's an exhale and you pause before you inhale again. And inside that, there is a heartbeat. And when the spaces between the heartbeat are wider apart, there's a greater organic natural space between the end of the inhale and the initiation of the exhale and the mm. end of the exhale and the initiation of an inhale. So you're becoming extremely energy efficient. The, the greatest parasite we have is the brain. The brain drains <laughs> our energy on all of its stories and schemes and get-rich-quicks and habits and subconscious yeah, programming yeah. all day long. Yeah. And to rewire your brain, which we know we can do, through neuroplatin, in other words, you can change your opinion of an event that has occurred, and you might go from the victim to victor. 
if we can just keep the energy levels of the body steady and high, we can consciously rewire our subconscious where it is inappropriately telling us stories about ourselves. When our energy levels are low and we are depleted in the body, you'll notice it's very difficult to remain conscious in that flow state, in that, uh, that blank moment, which is so nurturing to know that we can go there as the witness. And then you have very little power because the brain senses weakness in the body and in that it reverts back to subconscious programming and it'll play an old file over the present moment where you'll be awake, you'll be conscious, but you'll be in your subconscious, which is telling you an old story about the past, which has become comfortable to your neurobiology or it's future tripping about what might occur sometime in the future. Yeah. And there is a, there is a clippy phrase about the, uh, if we're not careful, we're going to get where we're going to end up where we're going. That's not quite right. I never get those phrases right, but it's along those lines. And it's really true that we can, I can fall back into a, what a chiropractor I know used to use the terms thinking, thinking. And it's that you, an old tape pops up, something happens and an old tape pops up and then you're in that grind of the tape. So the idea of reprogramming that or having the possibility of stopping in that moment and taking some breaths and pausing and coming back to like, wait a minute, this is who I really am. I think that's awesome. The brain is very lazy. Once it <laughs> learns something, you might notice that it resists learning anything different about something that you've already told yourself that you know. And yeah. there really isn't any reason to have free will then. In other words, as a human being, we have the ability to think outside of the box, to get outside of our comfort zone, to explore, explore curiosity. You will have none of that. You will have fear will. Because what happens is over a period of time, the brain will take even the greatest successes of our life and its constant reduction of that story. It will eventually find something wrong with it because we are all extremely extremely hard on ourselves and it's something we need to really take a look at and ask ourselves why am i so hard on myself but i let everyone else in my life walk all over me it's another show <laughs> i'll be doing briefing for it's that <laughs> it's a whole other show <laughs> that's an amazing thing thank you for that i'm going to jump you're welcome <laughs> I'm going to jump to nasal breathing because uh, I want to talk about nitric oxide. And, yeah. and this is a multiple part question. How long have you been doing nasal breathing? And did you know about nitric oxide and or when did everybody go crazy for nitric oxide? And I mean that in the best of ways. Have we have yogis who have been doing nasal breathing for how many ever hundreds of years know about nasal breathing and its benefits or they were just doing it and the positive side effect, not a term I use often, was nitric oxide and they were having stronger immune systems. So that whole arena, please. Yes, yeah, so I started this in the early 90s, this nasal breathing quest. And when I first began to notice that I could weave the yogic breathing into Western exercise, 
as a somatic kinesthetic learner, I immediately noticed that I was going deeper inside myself with less wear and tear from frequency, intensity, duration from normal uh, Western exercise, which was no pain, no gain. So it immediately lit up a light bulb in me because it made me feel great without killing myself with more reps or more miles yeah. or more sets. Now, back in the 90s, nitric oxide... <clears throat> Uh, to neuroscientists, nitric oxide was toxic. It was poison. It was destroying the brain. And you would never want to have any nitric oxide in your brain. And then sometime in the 90s, early 2000s, there were some scientific studies saying that, wait a second, when we breathe through our nostrils, into our sinus cavities, through our oral cavities, that the brain was naturally secreting nitric oxide on its own. And this began to turn the old science up until that point upside down because at that point, nitric oxide was, was bad and it was causing uh, acidity and it was the exact opposite. And it, it really hadn't been thoroughly researched. It was just, there really hasn't been any research in the West on the effects of breath up into like the 90s. You know, everything else was taking place in India or taking place uh, in Europe, you know, the West resisted the breath and the breath sciences vigorously because they want to give you the pill or whatever type of uh, medical intervention you can get from uh, the health insurance companies or uh, the pharmaceutical companies. And so they were kind of forced into this, and they are still resisting it massively. Uh, as pseudoscience science or anecdotal evidence, or but it's slowly coming around. And when you think about breathing through your nose, this is how we were born. And before our ego is developed and our, we have a sense of self, we want to stake our claim on the earth, uh, that's when we start to hyperventilate and get hyperarousal with the mouth breathing and we begin to rewire or uh, hack into uh, the brain and then we say to the brain, hey, I don't want to do this nose breathing. I want to do this shallow mouth breathing because I get all excited. I get hyper. I run around the room and then I go crash on the couch for three hours. So <laughs> establishing mm -hmm. your mind born a nasal breather. Every animal on earth breathes through its nose its entire life unless it's hunting or being hunted or unless it's been taken out of its natural habitat of where it's been for hundreds of years. When you think about the cheetah, the fastest animal on earth, runs 60 miles an hour, does it all breathing through his nose or her nose. So the simplicity of pulling your awareness back to nostril breathing turns a lot of people off, I think, because how can straightening out my life or becoming healthier or becoming wealthier or becoming more lovable, how could that all be by simply breathing in and out through my nose? So we begin to poo-poo it because it's not complicated. You know, if we're going to change our life, it has to be complicated. We've got to run through doors, hop over walls, you know, dig ditches. We have this illusion that human life, to get somewhere, it's supposed to be difficult, and it certainly is challenging based on the size of the carrot you're chasing in front of you. But the foundation of stalling aging, having sustainable energy during the day so you're making the best decisions in the afternoon, not just in the morning, 
is using this amazing molecule called nitric oxide, which is only secreted in the brain when the air comes in and out through the nose rather than the mouth. And I'll, I'll interject here that a friend of mine who hikes a lot, he's always been physically active, whether it's flying across salt flats on little nut skateboards, the things with a sail on the sailboards, or that kind of activity, mountain biking. Now he does a lot of hiking. And he taught himself to nasal breathe when he was hiking by holding water in his mouth. And it made him, and it was, he did it in order to force himself to, try, to use nasal breathing. And he said, it, it's phenomenal. And he's now 77. And he would use a string of bad words and like, yeah, what are you looking at, buddy? I'm 77. So what? <laughs> and he says it's made a huge difference in how he feels. And he hikes two or three times a day in Albuquerque, you know, just goes out for a walk. Or sometimes it ends up, you know, a long walk into nature. And he just says it's been life-changing in terms of how his vi- he was vital before. Now he's like vital with an edge in a good way. And it's from the, the nitric oxide, I feel, from the nitric oxide. And does the nitric oxide also affect our alkaline, acid alkaline blood levels? Or is that just the breath itself? So the nitric oxide classically is an anti-inflammatory molecule. Mm-hmm. So as we age, inflammatory markers rise in the body, on the brain, because number one, our lungs begin to deteriorate after the age of 30. We become shallow breathers, and we even become mouth breathers. And our heart is beating too fast, which creates acidity, and unremoved acidity will create mucus, phlegm, and fat, which makes it more difficult for oxygen to communicate with all the cells of the body and the cells communicate with their neighbor cells. So when you're breathing through your nose, this nitric oxide goes into the lungs and it'll allow these microscopic sacs in your lungs, these avioli sacs, will be able to exchange deeper levels of oxygen and carbon dioxide, which allows the lungs to become more efficient. The lungs There's a reason why we have two of them, and there's a reason why they're so huge. Most of us underutilize our lungs, and this affects every other system in regard to circulation, oxygenation, alkalinity. So when you think about stalling aging, we have this 77-year-old man. He breathes in and out through his nose. He is creating... uh, recovery protocols, the benefits of exercise, while he's actually exercising. He is extracting, here's something that most folks don't know, guess what? You're exhaling as much oxygen as you're inhaling. Wow. You You mean I'm exhaling CO2? What is that? That's carbon. You're a carbon based being and burning carbon burns waste. It burns fat. It burns impurities. And it exchanges two oxygen molecules. Now you inhale two ox- O2, two oxygen molecules. Now, when your body can handle higher levels of carbon dioxide without the lower brain, the war department, the amygdala, the hypothalamus, everything that 
drains digestion, all the energy that moves out into your arms and legs to attack a defender or uh, run away from someone trying to get to you, that fight or flight or freeze part of the brain. Everything begins to change in your life when the brain doesn't respond to CO2 levels with panic. Over a period of time, mm. like a cyclist, now, when you first go out, you know, you can only ride so hard, so fast with your heart rate at a certain level. Well, a month later, guess what? Why are you riding so much faster with a lower heart rate? Well, because your bloodstream can handle higher levels of carbon dioxide without your heart rate going up and without your brain going, oh, my God, there's a threat of danger here, and I need to shut down digestion and bring all the energy out to my arms and legs and fight this saber-toothed tiger from the prehistoric age. So when you're exhaling through your nose, one of the things we want folks to do to maximize the efficiency of the systems of the body, whether it be neurological or physiological, is just practice right now and whatever you're doing, exhaling longer in length than your inhale. So if you're inhaling for one, exhale two. If you're inhaling four, exhale eight. If you're inhaling 12, exhale 24. Start to consciously rewire the respiratory centers of the brain and show the brain that you want to be breathing the way you were when you were a young boy or girl, and see if you don't have a huge amount of energy coming from your mitochondria, but you have a huge calm and relaxation move through the choosing mind of how you're showing up in the moment. So you have a huge motor. It's, it can go all day, but you're completely calm, and you are resistant to emotional patterning that spikes your heart rate and quickens your breath. Make me want to breathe. You make me breathe. I'm just going to keep this show on the background and listen to it throughout the day because it really makes me breathe. <laughs> it's really good. And now what is the connection, or not necessarily connection, there is conversation out there that the nitric oxide in the nasal passage is acting as, I'm trying not to use that word, it'll kill viruses. I'll just use that phrase. On contact, yeah. It, is that is that a thing? Is that a tr is that a observed yeah. thing? Okay. Yeah, so I've had so many people contact me during the COVID years, and like, why isn't the CDC putting out a program, a breathing program that strengthens immunity, strengthens our lungs, builds immunity around these viruses because it's a respiratory illness predominantly. And obviously we can see that there's forces in play here that do not want us to be healthy and vibrant and alive because the most simple way to strengthen immunity is again, simple. We've already done it in this program here today. If you inhale and hold that breath in, that pressure is going to form in your lungs and that pressure will need to go somewhere. And where is it going to go? You're going to have the ability to exhale twice as long as your inhale, which is going to strengthen your exhale muscles. It's going to turn off the war department, the fear centers of the brain. It's going to strengthen immunity and give you 
puts you in a fat-burning mode, fat as your primary metabolized fuel source, rather than your brain thinking danger and telling you to store fat, which is impeding oxygen distribution. So the most, like I haven't, I haven't been sick in, in 30 years, and I can wear shorts outside in the dead of winter in the mountains of Utah because I have a natural heat coming out of my body from breathing in this fashion. I never get sick. When you think about 70 to 80% of our immunity comes from our gut health. So what creates good gut health? Number one is a strong thoracic diaphragm muscle. It's the largest muscle of the body. You'll never see it in the mirror, but it's the primary muscle of inhale, and it vertically presses down on the inhale onto another nervous system, which is very minor, called your entric nervous system, which creates serotonin and dopamine for smooth digestion, elimination, and evacuation of waste from the belly. So strengthening the inhale is going to strengthen the thoracic diaphragm. It's going to give you great posture, and it's going to trigger a relaxation response on an arousal, which is normally our inhale. Now, when you exhale longer than the inhale, you're triggering the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve will then tell the 10 organs of the abdomen to metabolize fat, not store fat, because you're raising vagal tone. All of this is going to strengthen immunity so that you've created a filtration system through the nostrils that keep out airborne pollutants before they go into your lungs. If you breathe through your mouth, this is basically an emergency breathing mechanism that's designed to protect you to, to, to take a life back in ancient times or save a life, get you out of there quickly. There's no filtration there. There's no thought about immunity. There's just thought about saving your ass. So when you think about it, the mouth breathing is very primitive. It's not designed to strengthen immunity. It's not designed to give you sustainable energy. It's not designed for you to think deeply about the choices you're making in your life and looking for improvement. It's only designed to get you out of danger or re and, and factors like that. Well, I think that was great. Thank you. I think that people, you know, if you just think about the structure of the nasal passages, that they're little cilia in there, little hair-like things to yes. catch things. You know, they're like our built-in HEPA filters. They're not, that, they're not as fine as a HEPA filter, but it's built to filter. Whereas you open this giant gaping hole in your face called your mouth and inhale, it's just going in. Good luck to everybody because there's nothing between you and your lungs that's going to help filter anything. So the idea yeah. of having nitric oxide in your nasal passage... I got to just jump and say, you know, it just blows my mind that the idea of teaching kids in school how to breathe, maybe they could breathe for five minutes a day and maybe take a vitamin C tablet. I don't know. Just saying. What a radical idea. The idea of building a strong, as you said, everything about building the strength of the diaphragm and how that's going to improve the gut and the bowels. Wow. More of that. You know, let's, we're... We're a system, a self-contained system designed to run if we take care of it. Yeah. And, yeah. So wow. We're all overheated. We're on too many RPMs. We can't take any type of criticism. As soon as the cap's off the toothpaste, we get upset. Uh, we're, <laughs> oh, kind of, we're kind of 
So this is one of the great things I do with kids with Goldie Hawn's Mind Up program for kids is we teach brain breaks, we teach breathing exercises, we teach self-regulation, we teach that all feelings are welcomed. You are a beautiful child and you can express yourself as free as you'd like as long as you're not disturbing others. Self-control, you know, empathy, all the things that don't get taught uh, you know, school is very competitive, and I understand there is a competitiveness to athletics and education, but mostly kids just want to fit in. Yeah, we're, we're, we don't like to talk about it, but we too are pack animals. Back to dogs. I spent a lot of time with dogs, yeah. not only that lab, but with other dogs together, and they're pack animals. They may look different. They may act different. One of them might be a little yippy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lab and I never enjoyed little yippee dogs, but they're all dogs and somehow they get along, you know, and we've seemed to have lost some of that. The ability to like go, okay, you're a little dog, not my favorite thing, but I'll, you know, you're fine. It's an amazing thing. Oh. And I, I think that's, I think the work you're doing with uh, the, what's the acronym for that organization? The Goldie Hawn group. Mind up. Mind up. Mind up. I think that's phenomenal to get kids into thinking about breathing and being somewhat self-winding in terms of their processing of materials in their brain so that they can stop and pause and take a breath and be calm. Wow. There's not a pill for that? Well, kids don't understand. They just don't understand, like, what's happening. You know, they're... they're, Look, we we know now scientifically that the brain isn't even fully developed till we're 25, so, yeah. I mean, like, and there's all these hormones going through the body. There's all these stimulations going through. They don't, you know, there's no dashboard in the mind just yet. So, you know, building the dashboard with as many gadgets as possible so you can self-regulate yourself and you have an awareness of what's, on the very fundamental level, what it's like to be me in the inner world gives you so much greater command over how you're going to interact and see yourself in the outer world. Yeah, yeah, and and this does this makes me jump a, slightly to you have a great article on your site, and I'll post this in the links about choices we make when we're stressed. <laughs> Would you talk about that a little bit? That just you know, it's so true, and every time I read it, and I've read it a bunch of times, every time I read it, I'm like, yeah, that. So, would you talk about that a bit? Yeah, well, we, you know, it kind of ties into everything we were talking about today that, you know, when, when we're stressed, we do dumb things. I don't know, what, I don't recall what the actual number is, but I think our IQ level drops substantially, you know, when we're stressed out. Like, we cannot seem to get to the forest from the trees. You know, just look at it fundamentally. Let's look at it from like a business standpoint. You know that 90% of the businesses, uh, of the mistakes in business take place between 2 and 6, not wow. between 8 and 12. Wow. So what would that tell me? Just as a, as, a, as a sociologist, that would tell me that when my energy level is higher, it's easier for me to make good choices remove drama, trauma, uh, destructive emotions from how I'm perceiving the workplace, and I'm more centered and grounded and present with the choices I'm making moment by moment with my phone calls, my customer services, and my emails. When folks are exhausted in the afternoon, uh, their breathing is shallow, uh, they 
went through too many heartbeats in the morning and the body is tired, then we're simply not as present. We're not as efficient and we can't communicate as well. We read things into messages that might not be there because our own emotional triggers are being activated. So one of the things we want folks to do in the morning is to really focus on staying on that exhale. Bring more cooling to the fire that you have in the morning. You start to metabolize fat in the morning as your primary fuel source, not store fat. And then what you'll notice is in the afternoon, you actually have so much more energy than you had in the morning. Everything is coming to you effortlessly. You're in that flow state. You're smiling. Folks who aren't doing these are frowning, and you're so much above the fray of the emotional accoutrements sometimes that come to business that don't need to be there. Well, and they just distract from what you're trying to get done. Distraction is not our friend. Distraction is not our friend. I was uh, on and off a chef for 20 years and everything that you've said makes me want to go into kitchens and teach people to have like a group breath session for five minutes before you open just to bring everybody into yeah, the so, moment. Exactly. You know, look, every day we are hardwired for endurance. We are endurance beings, and we should be having moments of, of speed or stress. What's happened is we've re- rewired ourselves into constantly sprinting and maybe little pockets of endurance. And how's that working out for us? <laughs> I've worked with that, with that line cook. I've worked with that very line cook. Like, you know, they make a mistake because they're not paying. They're just, it sounds dumb to say they're not paying attention to what they're doing. But when you're managing five saute pans and maybe something on the griddle, you really have to pay attention you, again back to all of your senses have to come in. You hear things, you smell things, you hear the cacophony around you, but you have to focus on what you're doing to juggle all those concurrently. And to have them be able well, to take just a, pause for a second and be there would be awesome. Take a look at the plates that go out at five after five and take a look at the plates that come out at five after nine and tell me what's the difference. <laughs> I can tell you the difference, but that's another show. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because yes. we need to be burning fat because it's an, like whatever you're doing, it, it's an endurance mental event and nostril breathing Longer exhales and inhales. As long as you're doing that, you're triggering safety to the brain and you're making better choices than someone who's exhaling shorter than their inhale, which is triggering a sprint, which can be performed very well for about 30 minutes. But then after that, we begin to lose our grip and we become distracted easily. Stress sneaks into the moment and we're not as efficient as we were when we were exhaling longer than the inhale. And the human body Simple. can really be stunningly efficient, given the opportunity, with what you're talking about. It's amazing. The, the idea to me that we can help people with the acid-alkaline issue, well, there is diet, but that's, again, another show. But just the, that we can manage a lot of this by your work of paying attention to the breath, pausing, taking moments, mm-hmm. and breathing which is only like our number one need. We need to breathe more than we need to eat pizza, <laughs> in right. spite of what some of my friends right. would say. And it's really true that it's, it's amazing how, given the opportunity, the human body will work really amazingly well. 
But we have to work with it, but, not against it or counter to it. Or I'm not sure what the word is there. The bottom line is the breath knows you very, very well. And whether you're aware of it or not, when you choose to deepen your breath and straighten your spine and relax, the breath will go into the parts of your body automatically where you're tender, where you're tight, where you're armored, and it'll start to break it up and allow a free flow of energy to start to circulate there prior to the event that has caused the trauma there. It's intelligent all on its own. Mm -hmm. You just have to find the time to do it and find interest and tapping into the finest version of yourself again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So the finest version of yourself is almost a mantra in the best of ways. That's in the form hey, of a question. We're, we're in a stressed out society. Guess what? Mantras work. Mm -hmm. Mantras work. You, yeah. I, I don't care what your mantra is. Syllables have a different effect on the brain than words like words that have syllables in them because your brain knows what those words mean when you have shorter little syllables with a controlled breath coming into your conscious brain you are immediately transformed into your finest self you cannot screw it up it's not mic rocket drop. science <laughs> mic drop right there you cannot screw it up that's the program i'm looking for the not screw it up program yeah it's really amazing it's really hard to screw it up when you are in the moment or in a moment. Look, the ancients had stress, too. And the yeah. techniques that they were doing, their stress was like getting their head chopped off or being eaten by a bear. Our yeah. stress, for the majority of us, are thoughts. And these yeah. thoughts that we've made real are an hallucination. Yeah. It's not real. We make yeah. them real because we think we choose to think them all the time. And all of us, whatever you want in your life, Whatever you don't want in your life is one breath away, and it's your choice, and you have extreme power over your choices. Okay, I'm going to stop there. There's so many directions we could go, but I'm stunned to find <laughs> we're at that time where I have to ask you, where would you like people to find out more information about your work? We didn't even get to talk about your online classes. Um, but where can everybody find about you for our listening audience? And then I'll put it all in the show notes. It's www.edharold2rs.com. So just go to my website, and there's all sorts of different ways that uh, we could work together. Or I have a tremendous library of uh, free offerings. It will just be an investment of your time. And the bottom line is, is we're all in this together, and I would love to be a spoke on your wheel, on your bike, to help you get to where you want to go tomorrow, today. Great. Thank you, Ed. That was great. I knew it was going to be fun, and it was even better than I thought it was going to be. So thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking with you. Everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.